Imagine yourself under a starry sky around the warm glow of the sacred fire. As your hosts, Saren Odinson, Jim Two Snakes, and Caitlin Stormbreaker, talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Welcome to a show inspired by those late-night conversations by real-life spiritual practitioners. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. That's the litany against fear. I found a couple of meditations in Dune that I found very useful in my spiritual practice. Here's another one. This is a Mentat meditation. It is by will alone I set my mind in motion. It is by the juice of Sappho that thoughts acquire speed, the lips acquire stains, the stains become a warning. It is by will alone I set my mind in motion. It is by will alone I set my mind in motion. It is by the juice of Sappho that thoughts acquire speed, the lips acquire stains, the stains become a warning. It is by will alone I set my mind in motion. It is by will alone I set a mind in motion. It is by the juice of Sappho that thoughts acquire speed, the lips acquire stains, the stains become a warning. It is by will alone I set a mind in motion. Memory never recaptures reality. Memory reconstructs reality. Reconstruction changes the original, becoming external frames of reference that inevitably fail. Arrakis teaches the attitude of the knife chopping off what's incomplete and saying now it's complete because it's ended here there is no escape we pay for the violence of our ancestors the mystery of life isn't a problem to solve but a reality to experience and those last three quotes were from Frenin in doom welcome everybody to another episode of around grandfather fire you're listening to episode number 46 i'm jim two snakes joined by caitlin stormbreaker and sarenth odinson and uh yeah we must be in a, a dune frame of mind huh oh very much so i'm rereading 2020 it. series yes the street shots look amazing <laughs> i didn't think anybody would would ca- cap lynch and I'm really hoping this does. 
I mean, there was definitely some stuff that, that Lynch did well. I, I do like um, his visual style for how Baroque it was for a lot of the, the sets and that sort of thing. Um, the fact that it was a little, little on the whitewash side, um, that can definitely be approved upon. So I'm looking forward to that in the new reboot. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward. The, the, the one the thing that stuck in my craw and I realized it was a product of its time was how the shielding looked. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. never how it looked to me when I was visualizing <laughs> it in my head from the novels. Um, I, honestly, like, I know that they haven't brought back Patrick Stewart for the role, but I really liked him as Gurney Halleck with that damn pug. That's true. <laughs> it was That's the cutest true. damn thing. Like, here's this sword-wielding madman charging into battle with a pug in one arm and a sword in the other. <laughs> it's so Patrick Stewart. Thinking of, of the amazing Patrick Stewart, um, I don't know, do you guys follow him on Facebook at all? I follow him, I follow on, him on Twitter. Instagram. He's been posting a sonnet a day, which I yes. really love. It's like, yeah. oh man. He's so adorable. He's so sweet and so kind and humble too. Like, I just, I adore him as an individual. And he just has this voice and it soothes you. <laughs> He's a really good example of personal growth too. Like even uh, even just looking at the window of, of Star Trek Next Generation, how the other actors talked about how serious he was that first season and almost hard to deal with because it's got to be theater, you know, and, he, you know, we have to take this seriously. And by the end, how large the the family become of just friends and you know i it, it's a good example of personal growth mm-hmm. and i just adore his relationship with ian mckellen too just their <laughs> i know it right their brothership is so wonderful and beautiful i just i adore them together his wife's really awesome and gods i can i she really is a wonderful woman. You can just tell by how, how she talks with him and how he talks with her. It's just, I'm so happy for them. <laughs> Why does he have to be British? We could get Patrick Stewart for president. That would be great. I'd vote for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We're, we're, we're already getting the rumor mill that uh, Dwayne, the rock Johnson's going to run and Jesse Ventura is throwing his hat in too. So it should be fascinating. Honestly, I, I'd probably vote for The Rock. I'm not gonna lie, he, he's a pretty decent person. So, just want to see the people's elbow on his opponent. That's all. <laughs> I just want to see the debate stage where he turns to Trump and asks if Trump can smell what The Rock is cooking. This is what I want. This is the or, whole summary or, of I want in a debate. No, no. What would be even better? Have you guys ever seen The Rock's uh, The Rock on the on YouTube where he's he'll be in a gym working out and he'll see somebody from across the room like staring at him like oh my god it's The Rock and he'll look at him and just yell focus at them <laughs> and continue working out. So when like Trump goes off on like a weird tangent, he just yell at him, like, focus. <laughs> That'd be awesome. It would be oh, I would amazing. love it. I mean, it might as well be entertaining. You can't count on facts in a debate. So we might as well be entertained by it. No, no, we can't do that because that takes us one more step closer to idiocracy. And I don't. We're already there. That. <laughs> right? God, like, no, we are not at that extreme. Weird time. Is that what we're talking? Like, oh, hi. Hey. 
I'm so looking that, out my window now. They're currently putting Brondo on the cornfield. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Gatorade stock suddenly gone through the roof? Damn, I should have invested. It's the one stock that's doing well in this market. It is now technically worth more than oil. It's great. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, oil is in the negative right now. So. Yeah, I know. it. If only we could take some of this... Uh, and, and, and really focus on, I mean, if we had good leadership, imagine what an opportunity this would be to transition to different forms of energy. But oh, yeah, oh, to be sure. thinking on my part, I guess. I mean, you it know. would be taking advantage of the current time that we're in. And the only thing they take advantage of is it, are their people. Yeah, exactly. So Exactly. Oh, well, that's way too depressing a thought. I, I'm still much more charmed by the rock yelling at Donald. That'd be, I like that. And Jesse Ventura in there. That would be like an amazing combination. Could turn every debate into a cage match. It'd be great. Right? Mm-hmm. Neither, neither Trump nor Biden would know what the hell is going on. For about half of the debate, they'd just be like, <laughs> like, like you know, looking around like, what? Cats trying to true algebra. It just, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, I mean, it, well, no, that's not true because Trump's been on Raw or uh, SmackDown. Yeah, yeah, he's got Has he? Oh, yes. yeah. yeah. Yeah, he got his ass thrown around that stage a couple of times. Yes, I need to look that up now. But honestly, a WWE term- tournament is not far from our actual political dates debates nowadays. If you think about it's it, it's actually more honest. If you really, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, it's bit. actually more I mean, honest more because honest. you're you're paying to be entertained. When when you donate to a political party, there's not necessarily going to be entertainment. You might be disappointed at the end of it. Yeah, you might uh, not enjoy the transition between whoever yeah, uh, brings that belt home. Yeah. Yeah, Vince McMahon, his wife Linda was part of the Trump administration briefly. So yeah, they oh, were well, Speaking of which, they were talking about how Vince McMahon was supposed to be on the financial steering committee to open the economy again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Truth is stranger than goddamn fiction. If this was a book, I'd be shutting it and throwing it in the corner by no now. Doubt. Like who could? Are we absolutely sure something didn't actually happen when? CERN was tested. I'm telling you, this is the worst like, timeline. Writers take this as, as your imperative. It doesn't matter how batshit crazy your ideas are anymore. We have mm-hmm. a former WWE guy who used to be a reality TV star as our president. You can't jump the shark anymore. <laughs> we already now, have as a country. Maybe Look. there's too many of us with goatees and shit. Maybe that's why we're the negative universe. Like, <laughs> start back to Star Trek. If we all sh- went clean shaven again, well, I mean, goatees would be in the correct universe. Look, it you guys touch sad, my husband's beard, I will stab you. <laughs> I think the inside of Matt's beard is its own alternate dimension. Right? It kind of is. <laughs> it's glorious and beautiful. It is where crumbs disappear. Actually, he's very <laughs> oh God, there's a whole sandwich. beard. <laughs> Oh wow, we are in a mood tonight. This five, is great. Five dollar foot long. I'm gonna tell him not to listen to this episode. Oh no, I wanted to listen to it. 
So, yeah, for... <laughs> sorry, Malik. <laughs> See, the objective was actually to make you shoot soda out of your nose. So I'm sorry too. <laughs> so anybody that's listening to this show, that's not part of our discord server. Um, I want to let you guys know to keep an eye out for a couple things. Go take a look at the Round Grandfather page, Grandfather Fire page on Facebook, or keep an eye on our other social media because Caitlin has been doing some really wonderful storytelling for us. Sarenth has been putting out some really awesome articles on how to deal with the spirits. So we're not just all goofing around. We're just in a mood tonight, so... I'm goofing around a little bit. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. I kind of need to goof around a little bit. I've been doing a lot yeah, of really serious so. writing. Y- um, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't yeah know, actually, like... you should, you should uh, share your, your blog because I don't think many of our readers know where it is or listeners, not readers. Oh God. Let <laughs> me see if I can actually They're reading with the their earballs. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, my blog is at uh, wordpress and it's storm paco uh, s-t-o-r-m-p-a-q-o i i'm trying to get myself to post it on instagram as well for those that follow me there um but i also post it on the facebook page uh the the support group page primarily is where it is but i will start posting it to the around grandfather page as well yeah speaking of great online content people should all check out jim's um, yes tiktok because yes. it is an awesome <laughs> it is a slowly is accumulating wealth of information that is going to be really useful to anybody that has like questions on specific things like what is spiritual accounting he's doing an incredible series of videos and the fact that he can compress this in chunk format into one minute videos is freaking awesome. It's a gift. Yeah. Also, seriously. I've been copying, I've been like grabbing all of your effects you've been using in your videos and kind of stocking them in mind for when I eventually do TikTok. Because they're <laughs> the cool effects that you've been using. I yeah, like that I'm one. just a lurk I'm just a lurker on TikTok. I it's a great waste of time. And there's it actually is. a guy that I follow on there who Basically, he used to be a marriage counselor and a relationship counselor, but he switched over to being like almost a full-time farmer. And through his TikTok, he uses his relationships that he's built with his horses as a method to teach life lessons to people in 60-second blips. And he's such a sweet, humble, down-to-earth guy that I'm like so happy and like rooting from him from the side lines because he's doing so well and i'm just like there really are some creative mm-hmm. people on there they don't all annoy me so this is pretty good no that you're just like mm, no. <laughs> yeah well you know not everybody can claim that uh, that loki was never worshipped so you know but oh that's the first story i wrote by the way <laughs> it's a story about loki so if you're curious go check it out um while I'm thinking of our Discord, I want to also think about our Patreon page. And mm. we have a new $20 a month pledge from Emily. And Yay! Alyssa hey. has stepped up from $2 a month up to the $5 a month level. So we're doing oh, awesome. 
Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Little happy dance. Yeah, and uh, got a really nice note from Emily about, uh, uh, she said, of the last episode, the Fireside Chat, that I've still got 45 minutes left, but just had to say that I'm loving this. You all are really helping to improve my day. Mm -hmm. I know it, right? That's so sweet. That's awesome. We occasionally do good things. How about that? What? Says who? That's not true. I work for an evil god. (laughs) (laughs) me too actually that's a pretty good transition talking about working with segue look at you go (laughs) it's like it was planned so why don't you go ahead and share the topic that you brought to us jim all right so why don't you do that meet me (laughs) (laughs) you can't do that to me i know better no the um the topic I was thinking about tonight, and, and I'm not saying that there's a right or a wrong way here, but I just thought it was worth discussion. It's the thought that a lot of people in the pagan community and polytheist communities use the term working with, working with a God. And I started to think about why are we so nervous about using the phrase worship or devotation? That's, I, I don't know, it was just... Something that was uh, in my mind, and I and I thought maybe it'd be worth chatting about. Absolutely. So I'm I'm happy you brought this up as one as a subject that I've written a lot about. <laughs> um, like seriously, look look up uh, devotion or worship on my blog, and there will be tons and tons of of posts on it, and I um. So before we even get into really the meat and potatoes of what we're talking about, I'm going to rattle off a couple of definitions so that we all have a a kind of a song sheet to work with. (laughs) These all come out of the um, Oxford English Dictionary, just so that we all kind of have a, here's what I'm talking about. So the first word I'm going to use is orthodoxy, authorized or generally accepted theory, doctrine, or practice. Orthopraxy. Rightness of action as distinct from or in addition to rightness of thought, which is what orthodoxy means. Orthopraxy is right doing. Orthodoxy is right thought. Orthopraxy is practical righteousness, correct practice. Worship. The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity, religious rites or ceremonies constituting a formal expression of reverence for a deity. Great admiration or devotion shown. Showed? Yeah. Shown towards a person or principle. (laughs) Veneration is great respect. Reverence. Working is having paid employment, engaged in manual labor, relating to, suitable for, or for the purpose of work. Um, Reference to an animal used in farming, hunting, or guard duties, not kept as a pet or for show. Um, Another uh, definition is functioning or able to function used as the basis for work or argument and likely to be developed or improved later. Um, The action of doing work. And then the definition of with. Accompanied by another person or thing, having or possessing something, wearing or carrying, indicating the instrument used to perform an action. Um, So yeah, some some really basic definitions, but I feel like to even get the, the ball rolling... 
you know, we need to have like a working lexicon because there's so many different definitions people use that right. I find that at least grounding out the territory of where we're talking helps. Yeah. I, I was just, I, I had to take a second and chuckle because uh, in this silly mood that we're in tonight, your, the definition of work was, you know, not for show, like in, in the comparison was animals. And I just got this picture of like Odin going, Look at that. I had to guide two sets of families for five generations to get that fucked up hairline on that human. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the poor bastard. His face is all squished in, but look how pretty he is. Yeah, they're going to get best in show for sure. <laughs> yes, they are. That's my handsome boy. Uh, no, but I, I, what do you think? Why do you think the phrase working with is so popular? I know I find I might I use it a lot myself. Christian baggage. I think so. Yeah. Is that really the basis of it? Well, yeah. I think it's probably the beginning of it, and a lot of people probably don't realize that that baggage is actually there. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I have to remind myself of is that even though I was not brought up in an overly religious family my mother was my mom and her sister were drugged from different branches of christianity to roman catholicism to even scientology at one point by their mother and so it is in my dna to have that sort of aversion to that idea and it's something that i wore with at times and have adopted the word veneration in Mm -hmm. place of worship because of that. But it, it, your, your question, what you brought up actually has to force me to reconsider the role of worship in my life and what it looks like to me. You know, the work that I like how my spirit room, the entire room could be considered a form of worship to mm-hmm. our different gods and ancestors. Um, so it's just a deeper look at a word that I didn't really have a full grasp or understanding of before all this started. So, Now, I said pretty definitively Christian baggage, but I think the other part of it is, is worship implies dedication, whereas work, you can quit a job. Oh, fascinating. You can walk away from a job. You may so not like that- the consequences, but worship implies a deeper dedication. Is that the illusion of control then that people want yes. to have that control over the? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Frequently when I encounter people who, who fight with me over worship versus veneration versus working with, it's primarily because, well, I'm my own person. Okay. Mm-hmm. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> you shared a blog from John Beckett with us earlier Um mm-hmm entitled what it means to work with the gods and the one thing that made me laugh but also kind of made me stop and go huh was um the section titled many pagans have an aversion to worship and he starts off let's let's start with the obvious many pagans don't like the idea of worshiping anyone or anything most of this is a reaction to the errors and excesses of Christianity, or at least certain forms of Christianity, which teaches that their God is great and pure and holy and humans are worthless, sinful scum. And so they throw the baby of worship out with the dirty bathwater of toxic monotheism. Then yeah. 
when they begin to form relationships with deities and those relationships go well, they struggle to find an acceptable word to describe their prayers, meditations, and offerings. And so while most people would say they're worshiping the deity in question, they say they're working with them. My experience with many deities is that if they get what they want, they don't much care what you call it. Um, And I kind of have to agree with that sentiment because when I first started working with Odin, there's that phrase again, we kind of went back and forth on it. And um, he specifically said, I want you to work for me. And that kind of made me bristle a little bit. And I was like, I'm not a pig that you're going to eventually march out for slaughter. I'm sorry, I'm worth more than that. I know that you may not see that, but I have value. I have worth. I need something out of this relationship too. And so that kind of began our long and strenuous back and forth of what our relationship would look like. And we eventually agreed on, I will work with you on this, but I will not work for you. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there's um, like in Western occultism, a lot of times you, you feel this, there's current of standing on equal footing with the gods as well. And so does that mean that mentally we're trying to approach it from a place of a more transactional nature? And it, you know, not the saying that's bad necessarily, but do you think that's the case as well? Shit, I'll say it's bad. I'm a former ceremonial. I'm a. I mean, I still am kind of a ceremonial magician. The notion that you can approach the gods on equal footing is laughable because they are just bigger than you. It's hubris. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but it's hubris. When you're taking on the god form, you are touching a part of the spark of that god. You're not anywhere near bringing in Ausar or Aset. No, it would burn you alive. Um, so this is, this is where I, this sticks in my crop, particularly from Western occultism, as though you're anywhere near the same footing of the gods. No, no. If you truly actually believe that you're working with a God versus some run of the mill spirit, it is well worth your time to develop some humble pie and eat as frequently as needed until your ego shrinks to a safer level. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, I have to reiterate, I do view the gods as being higher than me. They are much larger beings than me. I nowhere in no way do I believe that I am on the same level as them, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm big on reciprocity. I've always been about, you know, you get what you give type Mm -hmm. of thing. And I have had relationships with deities where I approached them and said, I would like to work with you. And they said, well, you have to do something for me first. Right. (laughs) So you have to create that transaction initially to be like, yeah, I'm here willing to do the work that you place up before me. Help me out. Yeah. So that, that reciprocity doesn't go away, whether you're venerating, whether you're worshiping, whether you're working with the God or goddess. Um, Gabo happens one way or the other and you can you can do it in a way that is better for you or one that where the god has to come collect (laughs) so you know pick 
pick which one you want to do, but these are primal forces of the universe and beings of great and immense power. Even if we're talking about a local river spirit, if you think that the local spirits don't have your number, disrespect a local spirit and then watch how quickly your crops fail or your, your water, your, your, uh, your land floods or something at the most inopportune moment. Right. So this is something I apply equally to the really big cosmological gods and the really local gods. So to me, like this scales up and down depending on wherever they are in the divine hierarchy, if you will. Um, Yeah. It's not something exclusive. I'm definitely not opposed to using the term working with because it definitely is applicable in some circumstance. Um, I'm wondering though, and, and you were talking, Saranth, about baggage from Christianity. A lot of the words that are like worship and veneration, devotion, they, they, they boil down to words at their core of love and respect. And were enough people burned by monotheism where we're having trouble generating love and respect for a god? I am going to say this, and I'm going to be as gentle as I can. Okay. Love is not necessary. To respect a person, I do not have to love them. Okay. I respect my boss. I may not like my boss, but I respect the position that the boss is in. Now, this might be a being that you work with where you might not really get along with this spirit, but you're in a situation where you can't get away from it. Like There are certain plants, for instance, that I don't care for. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really don't care much for poison oak. But if it's present, I will give it its deferential respect. I don't have to love it to work with that spirit. Um, Sometimes th- I, I want to jump off this really quick, and I'm sorry for interrupting you, but you, you make a very good point. I doing Finding out about my ancestry, I found out about a recent ancestor. He would be like a great-great-grandfather to me who is very abusive and manipulative to his family. In fact, I even found out he owned slaves at one point in his lifetime. And so out of respect and love for my family, I decided to work with him and Mm -hmm. elevate him and actually make him a better person in the afterlife so that my family didn't suffer from it. But it doesn't mean that I love him. Even after this work has done, has been done for years and we still interact with each other occasionally I still respect him as a member of my family, as still a member of my bloodline, direct bloodline. But I also don't love him. He's kind of an asshole. Not going to lie. That's kind of what I was getting to. Yeah, that's actually a really great example of exactly what I was talking about. And this can also happen with gods. Like, we're polytheists. We don't have to worship all the gods. There, you know, so we, we talk on this show occasionally about how there are some spirits that come into our lives that are just there to teach us one lesson, maybe a draft and they got drafted by your ancestors. Maybe you just happen to be in the right neighborhood at the time. And Hey, I got to pass this lesson on because this spirit I contracted with said I had to pass this lesson on and you have to be listening. So here you go. My debt's paid. Now fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Be gone, mortal. So, um, so there are legit ways of working with a God that have nothing to do with reverence or worship. Um, There are likewise legit ways of worshiping a God that have nothing whatsoever to do with um, working with them. Um, I don't work with Bridget. I worship her. 
She doesn't give me marching orders. We don't have a relationship where I have any kind of ties to her beyond the devotional. And devotion for me to Bridget has been a part of my life since I became a pagan in 04. Um, she's, she's the longest standing relationship I have with a God. And I don't have a working relationship with her. So these things can be mutually exclusive, which is why I'm really happy you broached the subject because a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm, I'm working with a God. That means I'm worshiping them. Not, not so, not necessarily so. You can, because I have that relationship with Odin where he fills all three of these. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we, we can get to that later, but you know, there are certain gods for whom I don't really have a loving relationship so much as a, all right, well, I got sent to you or you got sent to me or somehow we've ended up working together and I just don't have a really strong heart connection. There are some gods where, well, actually a perfect example is my Patreon. Um, I don't work with or worship Ingwi. I know that, that a lot of people are like, oh, Ingwi is Ingvi Freyr is Freyr. But I treat continental Germanic gods as different than Norse gods. So I get this really interesting thing with Frio, which is Freya, or uh, I believe also Frigg, um, because once upon a time, Frigg and Freya were supposed to be one goddess. And over time, they split apart. Well, because I'm a Norse heathen, I treat them as separate. But when I approach continental gods, I treat them as their own being. I don't have an established relationship with Ingui. So when my patron asked me to develop a prayer poem for them, I actually had to sit down, do research, and then connect with the God in space mm-hmm. where I could have a dialogue with Ingui. And <laughs> so I don't have any deep love or anything like any kind of attachment to Ingui, but I needed to have enough contact with him to bring forth proper poetry for him. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's similar to the relationship that I have with Thor. I don't have a working relationship with him at all. There have been times that I've attempted to approach him and be like, hey, how's it going? You know, like, just letting you know I work with these guys. So if you wanted anything, I'm an available, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to use the word servant. Contact? Contact. Thank you. That works. Um, Butler? (laughs) Maid, get me my L. Um, Intern, we're unpaid. (laughs) (laughs) Not entirely true. Not entirely true. You did get Matt. Well, the reason, and I'm getting to that, the reason why I have a veneration or devotion to Thor is because of Matt and his relationship to Thor. Yay, Hearth Cultus. Everything that Thor has done for him, I'm grateful for. You know, Thor has made him a stronger, even more sensitive man than he was before he started working with Thor. And he has helped him with all of his union work and everything. So I pay homage to Thor because of his relationship with my husband. Mm-hmm. I don't work with Thor or I don't work for Thor. You know, I have no contact with him whatsoever besides a horn on my altar. And every now I'm like, what's up buddy? How's it going? 
So I, I'm interested in something um, because I, I agree, and as Mother Multiverse is pointing out in the chat, relationships with the gods can have many, if not more, types of relationships as we can to other people. Here's the thing where I'm curious about, and, and, and once again, this is just kind of what struck me as we were conversing. So even amongst us, Caitlin, Sarah, I know absolutely without a doubt that you are loving people. I've seen your guys' relationships. I've seen you interact with others. I've seen you with, your, with, with children in Sarah's case. I, I, I know you're absolutely loving people. Yet when we got in this conversation, even you guys automatically threw up that, well, it doesn't have to be love. Look how scary that is. Mm-hmm. Is that so, a factor in all this? It is. I also put that out there because while I have a very strong heart bond with most of my gods, mm-hmm. I recognize it's not a universal. And I have to put yeah. that out in front because of how intense I sure. feel towards mm-hmm. my gods. You know, when, when people say, well, I don't, I don't worship Odin. And they're doing all the exact same things or near enough to what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, but that's Okay. You're equivocating, but all right. <laughs> um, yeah, I I feel such a depth of connection and love and and fear mm-hmm. with and for my gods. Um, and it's a for me the connection I have with most of my gods is very intimate and deep. When it comes right down to brass tacks, I'm a former Catholic. I gave up salvation for this. I gave up the the sacrifice of the Eucharist to follow Othan. I gave up everything I was. So, yeah, I'm going to feel some real deep heart, tight connections with these gods because I gave up everything I was to become who I am now. Mm -hmm. But I recognize not everybody is going to go through that transformation. Um, I also recognize that not everybody is going to hold the same heart level with their gods at every given point in time. Actually, Mother Multiverse is making this great point right now. Relationships can also change with time. Sometimes they deepen, they alter, sometimes they shallow, sometimes they end. And that's true. Um, Mother Multiverse, if you could just keep cutting to the chase, we don't have anything to babble about. Right. (laughs) 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 That doesn't mean stop. Continue adding. I kid, I kid. But you're right. There, There is a sincere vulnerability there that some people may not want or be ready for, especially if they're coming out of birth religions where religion was used as a crop instead of a loving connection or a good connection. Right. Right. So, and and actually, Oh, go ahead. uh, This actually kind of picks at some of the shadow work that I have been approaching from a different angle recently. And that is my relationship with and to the word and feeling love. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I have been redefining what love is and what it means to me in certain situations. And I'm beginning to understand that love isn't what I, t- love isn't what I was taught it is when I was a child. Oh, fascinating. 
love is something much deeper and more complex and versatile than I was raised to believe. Now, I was raised by a mother and father who very rarely ever said, I love you. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid and well into my teenage years, I always said it all the time because I wanted to hear it because I wanted to understand it. And my mother, and before you guys go off on thinking she's a terrible person, she's a wonderful person and I adore her to the ends of this earth. Um, she tried explaining to me her love language is what I'm calling it. Her love language. Sure. So she felt and believed that by expressing the feelings of love and saying, I love you too much and too often meant that it would lose its meaning Mm -hmm. and that it would eventually kind of fall back on itself and you would forget why you love that person. And I, I understand that to an extent because there's a difference between loving something loving someone and approaching something with love. You can approach a situation with love, even though it elicits anger within you. You can approach a situation with love, even if it evokes grief or sadness or any other type of expression of emotion. Love to me is no longer an emotion, but an expression of something. Mm -hmm. It's about care and kindness, compassion, about passion even. You know, it's, it's bigger than what we have been led to believe. And so when I talk about loving something or loving kindness, I'm not talking about a romantic love. I'm not talking about a friendship love. I'm not talking about anything that has a materialistic basis to it. Mm-hmm. But instead, it comes from the heart. And it's gentle and it's kind. Does that make sense? So, yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to throw more definitions into this mix. <laughs> because English is woefully <laughs> inadequate in expressing this. Um, because what you're talking about is probably better expressed through the Greek language than it is through the English. Because they have different sorts of love depending on what you're talking about. I'm going to briefly go through them because I think this will help explain what I mean better. Eros, or erotic erotic love. Um, The ancient Greeks considered Eros to be dangerous and frightening as it involved a loss of control through the primal impulse to procreate. It's passionate and intense form of love that arouses romantic and sexual feelings. Philia, or affectionate love. Friendship, basically. A a love between equals. Uh, Plato felt the physical attraction was not a necessary part of it, hence the word platonic to mean without physical attraction. Um, Philia is a According to Aristotle, a dispassionate, virtuous love, free from intensity of sexual attraction, involves feeling of loyalty among friends, camaraderie among teammates, and a sense of sacrifice for your pack. I'm probably going to butcher this one. I think it's storge. Familiar love. Uh, familiar love. Uh, it resembles philia. It's love without physical attraction. Storge is primarily to do with kinship and familiarity. Natural affection flowing between parents and children and children for parents. Ludus. Playful love. Ludus has a bit of erotic eros in it, much more than that. Ludus is a playful form of love, the, the affection between young lovers, for instance. The fluttering heart, flirting, teasing, feelings of euphoria, that kind of thing. Mania, 
or obsessive love. It occurs when there's an imbalance between eros and ludus. Love itself is a means of rescuing themselves, a reinforcement of their own value as the sufferer of poor self-esteem. The person wants to love and be loved to find a sense of self-value. Then there's pragma, or enduring love. It's aged, matured, developed over time. It's beyond physical, it's transcended, casual, and it's a unique harmony found over time. Married couples have this, friendships that have endured for decades. It's not easily found, and it's not easily maintained, but if you do, it's amazing. Philautia, which is self-love. It's not the unhealthy vanity or self-obsession, like with narcissism. Narcissism. It's self-love in its healthy forms. It shares uh, self-compassion, self-love, self-understanding, the strength to be comfortable and love your own skin. As Aristotle put it, all friendly feelings for others are an extension of a man's feelings for himself. You can't share what you don't have. This is where shadow work comes in. Um, and then there's agape or selfless love. Um, unconditional love is how it's also referred to. It's not sentimental outpouring. It has nothing to do with condition-based love like, oh, I love you because we have sex or something. It's spiritual love, unconditional, bigger than ourselves, boundless compassion, infinite empathy. The Buddhists might describe it as meta, or I, I'm probably butchering that one too. Universal loving kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the the eight ways that I've, I've posted a link into the chat and we can uh, share that with our, our listeners when we go to post this. But to me, that's a better expression of what the Sam Hill love is in all these different ways than what we try to encompass in that little word in English. We try to fit so much right. mm-hmm. in that little label. So, to me, it makes perfect sense that everybody's definition of love flows out of their experiences and, and understandings and cultural background because one person's look at that one person's um, form of love is not going to be another person's. I'm glad that love languages have started developing in English-speaking countries of how to express love and devotion and the different forms it can take. Um. And so if we apply this understanding to our gods, you know, there's going to be some gods that we actually have eros for. Others we have philia for. Others we have agape for. You know, we, we can express and understand all these things in terms of our human lives. We can also understand and express these in terms of our, our gods as well, I think. I hope that all made sense. Yeah, makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. So the the part that I want to kind of circle back around to, because I think it all connects in my mind a little bit. And once again, I am not by any way, say, shape or form saying any of these other terms like working with or veneration or anything else are unacceptable. Only you really know your relationship with your gods and spirits. Absolutely. The part that I'm curious about is that, and you, and Sarah, you brought a point when I was talking about love and how even we shied away from it is there a social or peer pressure factor? Are we afraid to admit that we worship gods because we are going to be seen as inferior or weaker in some way? Yeah, I mm-hmm. honestly, I can, I can say that's probably part of it. Um, and that comes from many of our upbringings, you know, um, 
And that's a shadow that needs to be dealt with. Obviously, if it brings you a level of discomfort that causes pain or anxiety, you know, keep it to yourself right now and unpack it with yourself or with somebody that you're close with. But it's something worth looking at. Um, My writings, my stories, I can see as a form of worship of the gods that I have visited and worked with. And it's also very, very scary to share that kind of stuff because it is a very personal, deep growth that I went through when these interactions happened. You know, I'm showing a very raw form of myself to the world saying, this is what I did. And I did it for them, mostly, but I, it happened to me too. So that is a form of worship. And it's yep. changing the way I look at the word worship. Mm-hmm. You know, worship doesn't mean getting down on your hands and knees and praying fearfully to a God to, for, you know, rain and don't smite me. And I'm sorry for, you know, stepping on that dandelion. It doesn't. I, I think that's that. what a lot of people think it is in their head. Oh, I think it's actually okay. So I'm, I'm going to kind of. Hmm. I have feelings oh, on this. Back a little. I'm mm. going to push back Go because on. there are points at which it is absolutely the only appropriate thing to do is to bow your fucking head. Yeah. If you fucked up and you've hurt a God, if you've reneged on an agreement, if you've done wrong, absolutely have some humility and just admit you fucked up. This yeah. is pride. That's pride speaking. That's, that's not self-interest. That's, that's, Pride. It's 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 a negative form of pride. Mm-hmm. And I, I I put that out there as a differentiation between. I, uh, there's a Greek word for this too, and I wish I knew it offhand. Um, between positive pride and negative pride, mm-hmm. and this is very much of the toxic variety in my understanding. And I'm not trying to come at you, Caitlin. I just I hear this so often it frustrates the shit yeah. out of me. Because there is absolutely nothing wrong and everything right with kneeling before your gods and saying, I can't do this. I need help. Yeah. There's nothing it, wrong with that. It doesn't make you weak. No, it makes you vulnerable, which is honoring. Mm-hmm. Every time I come on the mic on this show, I have to check some of myself at the door because I can't do this show proper without checking myself. In, in a very real way, I kind of cut myself off the legs here when I come on this show. Um, because when I'm pulling most of these poems out and I'm laying them down, I'm not reading most of this stuff. Most of the shows where you hear me doing a poem, it's coming out of, out of my mouth, off my tongue, in the moment. And I'm asking the gods for help. I am surrendering. It is incredibly vulnerable. And that is just a very small example. But I can't do this show and I can't do my work as a, as a shaman or a spirit worker proper without having that vulnerability because you have to. You have to be willing and able to surrender some part of your control to do something that this great being is asking you to do. And you will never know unless somebody tells you what kind of immense impact your words have on them. We are blessed in that we have several listeners who have directly told us, this is the direct effect you had on my life. Mm -hmm. 
and that is humbling and fucking scary. <laughs> well, a little bit, yeah. Um, I need to reiterate a little bit what I was saying. Um, it is not weakness to bow in front of your gods. It is not fearful to bow in front of your gods. It is respectful and humbling. It's For me, and this may be wrong, but it has had a major effect on me. I used to be very headstrong, way more so than I am now, for both of you listening to me right now. <laughs> I used to be a lot worse. Um, but prostrating myself in front of a being that is much larger and much stronger than me helped me develop my humbleness helped me to step back and realize I don't have control of everything around me. And that's fine because I have the strength of the ones behind me. I have the strength of the ones that I bow to. I've actually had gods ask me not to bow. Yep. Sure. That's the thing. Sure. Yeah. Cause I, I think worship, you know, like love worship can take lots of different forms. It can be the, the mm-hmm. knee, kneeling and prostrating and, and, it, and at the same time, it can also be just spending time with and that sort of thing. But so, you know, as long as we're thinking in the realm of shadows, that vulnerability then becomes a factor. Can, can we um, accept that a lot of people got into paganism and witchcraft because they wanted to have some sort of feeling of control over their life? They wanted to be able to do magic. They wanted to be able to do ceremony and mm-hmm. the thought of giving up and being vulnerable and having and losing that control is a scary as hell thing. Or even the sense of freedom. Maybe they were chasing the idea sure. of being mm-hmm. free in their themselves and their religion. I mean, they saw this thing in paganism that was, oh, I can dye my hair whatever color I want and wear whatever clothes I want and makeup and all this crazy stuff and do magic and it's so exciting and all this stuff. I get to but... be different, yet strangely the same as everybody else at this convention. No, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I'm the same. But that's fine. Fly your freak flag, guys. Do whatever you want that makes you happy and feel amazing. You know, it's awesome. I love seeing all the colors. It makes me so fucking happy. Especially black. Well, (laughs) we're in all black here today. Um, (laughs) I say in my black and white (laughs) t-shirt. Thank you, Grimfrost. (laughs) But there, there is a sort of magic and freedom to worshiping and having a devotion to a God and not actively working for them. You know, it's showing care and adoration Mm -hmm. for something outside of yourself. And that's okay because that's cool. And they really appreciate it. Yeah. Not having to work for every God means that not every relationship you have with a God or goddess or spirit or whatever is a job. Right, because right. when you're talking about working with a god, I class that as it's a job. Like I don't, I don't really classify that in terms of devotion or veneration unless there's a, that additional component to it. Because unless it unless it has an additional component to it, you're somebody's employee. <laughs> so, so all these folks running around going, "Oh, I'm working with this god." Okay, so are you an employee? Well, no. I I, I do offerings and I, I do devotion. Okay. So you tell me you're having, well, you can be working with them, but it's, it, for me, it kind of sticks in my craw because it's like language matters. 
Right. And language so, is fuzzy enough as it is. Sorry, go ahead, so, Jim. So are, are you saying that, that sometimes the phrase working with is appropriate because you're doing something for that deity, but other times that deity is helping you with something, so more appropriate would be, I'm getting worked on by that <laughs> deity. Mm-hmm. Worked yeah, on, run over, pulled apart, rewired, <laughs> you choose you know. your own phrasing. <laughs> Put on the hoist, whatever. <laughs> hey son you see that tree uh-oh <laughs> uh, i do have um, a i don't like where this is going <laughs> I, so so i, I want to back up a little because tammy said in the chat before i get to some of the later stuff mm-hmm. tammy had said in the chat that love in any form is commitment yes. so obviously does this mean that there's a fear of commitment there by saying that you're a worshiper as opposed to a working mm-hmm. with so growing up as a Catholic, one of the most frequently recited things we ever did was reciting that Nicene Creed. Yeah, yeah, For especially, I mean, I can't talk about a Protestant lens because I've never been a Protestant. But for a Catholic, love is a form of commitment in everything you do. All the sacraments are based around commitment. You know, uh, pick pick one. You know, when you're doing the, the birth blessing, it's a commitment from the parents that they're going to raise this kid Catholic and that they're going to raise you in the Holy Roman Catholic Church. When you go for your first communion, you are dedicating yourself to Christ as a Christian. When you go for your confirmation, again, you're committing yourself to the mm-hmm. church and his teachings and your relationship with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, for, for a Catholic, commitment's everything in terms of love. Um, there's a really wonderful play called Fences that I think everybody should at least see the major culmination of. James Earl Jones, I think, did it better than Denzel Washington, but I'm a little biased because, you know, Darth Vader versus <laughs> Denzel Washington. Um, yeah. So he, so the crux of the scene is, is it, like, go look it up on YouTube. You'll find it anywhere, really. Um, but the, the scene that goes between this character that he's playing and his son you know, his son says to him, and, and James Earl Jones is playing this really grumpy, older black man who's dealt with racism and crap his whole life. And he says, you know, he says to his dad, why don't you like me? And he is working on some kind of woodworking, and he throws his tools down and says, what the hell does liking you have to do with anything? It was one of the most gut-wrenching scenes, and it, it actually reminds me of my own dad in a lot of ways, because while he, he does like me and love me for who and what I am, but it also kind of reminds me of that duty of father to son thing. Um, and, you know, father to daughter, but in this case, Fences is talking about a, a father and son relationship. You know, um, I don't go to work to put, you know, clothes on your back and food on the table because I like you. <laughs> and that's that's where I get with a lot of this well, you have to be loving and love, 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 like love bombing your gods. You don't. There are some days where I really fucking resent my gods, but I still do the worship anyway because that's my duty. Mm-hmm. That's my commitment. And there are times where my emotional center ain't anywhere near happy or li- lively or joyful or any of that, but I do the work anyway because that's my commitment. And if that is a form of love, so be it. And I do believe it is. But... I mean, we, it's clearly one of the eight categories of love we were just listening, we, we, we explored earlier. But not every time you approach the gods in love is it going to even be anywhere remotely the same. Same with family, friends, you name it. I am not always going to be approaching 
anybody at my best. So I can't even expect that of myself when I approach the gods. But my duty? I mean, this is why Dharma is a thing. <laughs> In Hindu and Buddhist religions, this is why Dharma, not love, not happiness, not contentment, not is what rules your life. Sorry. So I kind of want to I want to touch on the whole commitment thing because we're talking about a culture fuck it we're talking about a group of people who were brought up in a world of instant gratification and on to the next. I'm done with this now on to the next. The next thing, the next thing. We don't ever stop long enough to make a full commitment to anything hardly in our lives. I mean, even our jobs now are disposable and we are disposable numbers to our employers. You know, we never put in, and I shouldn't say never, rarely is the work ever put into something to make it something better. Um, I was lucky in this respect to have been brought up in a family where my father could you could describe an issue your car was having to him and he would come up with three possible things that it would be. And once he saw it, immediately knew what it was. He didn't have to plug in the box into the computer, type in a code, look up that code, and et cetera, et cetera. He was the type of guy who was raised by his father to be a worker with his hands, to be dedicated and devoted to the work that he did. He started doing his job when he was 16, when he was old enough to drive. And he worked from body shop to body shop to body shop until they ran out of work because they couldn't employ him any longer because he was too good at what he did. And he worked too fast because he wanted money. <laughs> You're laughing, but it's true. And no, it actually... I just, this is, this is, this is, Beautiful, like a beautiful illustration of of duty versus capitalism. <laughs> right, he was <laughs> devoted to his own success, and he worked tirelessly. In go ahead, I I would actually amend that with he was devoted to excellence. If he was devoted to financial success, he wouldn't have blown through all those jobs so damn quick. Oh no, he was devoted to. Excellence, really. I mean, everything he does was to the T. Let's get the job done as fast and as well as I possibly can because I want to get paid and move on to the next. Right. What I'm saying is if, if, the, if your objective is to make money, you you wait. Oh, yeah, that'll take me eight hours. It takes you two, but you're going to charge for the eight. You know, but, while no, he... I was down there, I noticed these other problems <laughs> that... Your blinker fluid was leaking. Yeah, no, <laughs> oh, he... Shit. I, I've now realized exactly what some of my relationship with the gods is like. You know, while we were in there, we noticed these other problems. <laughs> hmm, so we noticed ah. this thing about you. <laughs> Would you mind doing this job for us? Hey, you know, while I was rooting around in you with a stick, this came out. Is this important? <laughs> I put you back together and I still got these parts. Yeah, Holy shit, these extra screws! <laughs> Score! That's how these, these were in your head. 
You didn't need this, right? This seems excessive. Yoink. <laughs> We're just going to rejigger this here. Bzzah. Ah, it still works. Look, the human lights up. All right, Sarah, do you want to address this question from uh, Malik? Er, let me go find it. It was, how does... Go ahead. How, no, does go ahead, everyone, go ahead. how does everyone feel about the phrase calling in, in quotations? I ask because it's increasing, increasingly struck me as disrespectful. So it what, makes my teeth itch. <laughs> what Malik is referring to when they talk about calling in a god, they are referring to when you are in circle and you call in a god. Um, I was obviously taught by Jim, and he... I, we have what we say, we say, come, come, but it's more of an asking instead of a demanding. We are not calling them and we are calling them to us. We are calling upon that connection to them joining us within the circle. And it's a very respectful thing to where we set up the time and say, okay, this is when we're going to do the thing. Hope you can make it. Yeah. <laughs> With the Wiccans, it would be more appropriate to go, go to our circle. We've got cake. <laughs> and Dale. <laughs> I mean, I there's nothing wrong. <laughs> kind of looks phallic, but. Wouldn't be the first time. That looks tasty. Oh, uh, is that Maria's sugar cookies? Hell yes. I don't care if they're mm, dick shaped. Mm. It's it's one of those things, Malik, I guess, where, you know, it all depends on the context and the background, because I can see where some people might be offended by it, or, or as Saren said, have his teeth itch over it, and other people might be, well, this is just how we've always said it, and so we don't mean any, you know, it doesn't impact the same way you know like there's certain families where you go to their house and the first thing the dad will say to the son is hey ugly what are you doing here you know something like that and it's like well that's the nature of what their relationship is so i can't say it's right. wrong so mm -hmm. you know but i can understand where if that's not your background or that's that's not the way you approach it where it would be a little bit bothersome there are contexts in which I can accept you old bastard, what do you want as a very acceptable <laughs> way of talking to Odin. There are other ops, there are other places where I won't accept that at all and will look at it as extremely side-eye. If not, I can't be here. Um, look, it all depends on my mood and whether or not you can call me bitch, but I have certain people <laughs> that can walk up to me and be like, sup, bitch, and I'm like, sup, jerk. We're good, you know? How is Arnie doing anyway? <laughs> oh, that poor bastard is getting run into the ground at RGC with his, his uh, mm. overtime, and I, I'm praying for him because RGC's been hit just like every other damn prison. Mm -hmm. yep. So yep. my prayers are definitely with Arn. Yeah. I, I do I want to back up a little bit, too. Victoria said in the chat that um, she's gotten okay, more okay with being vulnerable in public with with other issues and as, mm. as she got more into her witchy and druidness. Um, and I think that's really kind of a fair thing too. I think, um, I, I think there's something there. I guess that my whole hope with bringing up this conversation is that we might be able to take a few minutes and think about, cause I find myself using the word crutch of working with, and I think I need to be more conscious 
of using other words and phrases and applying more meaning to them. And I think maybe by having this conversation, it's kind of my hope that we can make other people think about it too and encourage people to sometimes look into that vulnerability and the, and the shadows that come with words mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. and see if it transforms our practices. I live in an environment where at work, which is overwhelmingly monotheist, overwhelmingly heterocentric. So being one of the very few out polytheist pagan queer people, I get in this really unique situation where people will assume that I'm heterosexual. And so it's really goddamn funny when they start talking to me like I'm one of them. And then they realize, oh, wait, he ain't straight. Um, and they get a course correction. So like when, when people at work will talk with me about, you know, God, this God, that, and I go, well, okay, which one? And then they have to stop because all their expectations have been (laughs) (laughs) thrown by the wayside. Uh, Well, what do you mean? You worship more than one God. Uh, That's what polytheism is. Well, what's polytheism? Jesus Christ. No, wait, not that one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, so it's really kind of fun being the only one because um, you get a lot of people who've had no exposure and you're their first pagan polytheist, anything mm-hmm. um, probably the first openly queer person that they've talked to. And uh, so um, I've had to explain the difference because I've had a couple of people at work who are becoming work friends who asked me, well, what do you mean? What's the difference between where we've had this exact conversation. I've had to explain it to them, you know, where you are, what amounts to a servant of God? Cause a lot of these folks are Catholic. I can actually talk with them on their level, you know, well, well, how does that play into like the veneration of saints? I'm like, well, the saints are real. God's really always real. The devil's real. Da, 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 da. Polytheism isn't exclusivist that way. Guess what? Your gods are just like mine. They exist. <laughs> There's a level playing field. Now, whether or not I'm going to worship your gods is a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, Marco, a friend of ours, had a very useful phrase that he would use when approached with this conversation when somebody said, so do you believe in God? And his response was always, oh, yes, I believe in many gods, including yours. And it mm-hmm. has been so beneficial to me to when somebody comes at me, because this has actually happened. I encountered two uh, teenage girls at the greenhouse that were brought in from their church group to help out for the season. <laughs> and when I was individually alone with them throughout the, the season, one of them asked me very almost on the edge of viciousness, do you believe in God? almost like immediately determining whatever my answer was going to be, there was going to be judgment. Mm-hmm. So if, even if I did believe in her God and worshiped her God, I wasn't doing it correctly because I wasn't doing it the way she was. Or if I didn't, I was automatically going to hell. <clears throat> and so I didn't really have an open conversation with this individual because I gauged the energy of the situation. I gauged the energy of the question and chose not to fight that battle. I chose to step away and be like, yeah, sure, whatever, and just ended it right there. Her friend, however, very kindly 
said, may I ask you a question? And I said, sure, you can ask me a question. She goes, well, I was just wondering if you believed in God. And I said, well, yeah, I do. I believe in many gods, including the one that you worship. And she goes, hmm, interesting. And then it left room to open dialogue about what I believed in, what I did, what felt moved me into the direction that I had gone. And she actually thanked me for the conversation at the end of it. And I was like, you're very welcome. You know, I, I encourage people with these types of conversations. And that's why I'm so glad that you decided to bring this topic up because I think it's worth digging into. I think it's worth people seeing actual practitioners kind of break down and Mm -hmm. express how they actually feel about these things. I mean, you've made me totally look at this word completely differently and it no longer carries the weight that it once did. So thank you. And I think if we as individuals use that and kind of like springboard off of it and actually mm-hmm. use it in a positive way and let other people see us use it in a positive way, that'll bring more change than us actually talking about it, talking, yeah. not talking. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, the thing is, this uh, the, the, I joke around about the tick talk stuff but the thing is i'm running into more young pagans and witches than i ever have and Mm -hmm. it's like this is the community where they're expressing themselves and where they're asking questions and Mm -hmm. like we've discovered in some of the metaphysics discussion groups and that sometimes it's these really basic questions that are amazing because they make me go back and mm-hmm. rethink about my own practice. And so I'm, I'm with you. I, and that's why I kind of wanted to have this conversation because I wanted to be able to say, we've talked about this. Here's a link. Go listen. Yep. Cover your ears for the swear words. No, that's this. <laughs> <laughs> Warning. We cuss a lot. Yeah. What? <laughs> Shit. If you've gotten this far. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, Patreon model. We swear for (laughs) unique swears for every level. No, this is I don't. I like this. Let's do this. Once I start, once I'm able to spend more time with my nieces and nephews, you'll start hearing really colorful ones like fire truck and (laughs) cheese and crackers or cheese sticks. (laughs) I can't use the word shiza anymore because I taught that to my nephew years ago and my brother got mad at me (laughs) i was like it's not a cuss word in english it's a cuss word in german Mm. it's a different language cuss word i'm I'm culturing him get over it right it's culture (laughs) it's like firefly we're all gonna swear in chinese it'll be great um so Tammy actually brings up a really good point. How much easier it would be to worship surrounded by like-minded people who give us permission to feel that divine presence. I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with it because nobody fucking gives you permission to feel divine presence. Except for you. Yep. If, I mean, there are times where it's more apt to engender that feeling, but I really like, this is a lot of where personal power and personal connection with the gods comes in. Because you can be in a totally hostile environment and still feel the gods if you have the wherewithal and the ability to have that headspace. And that is, honestly, when you're in the middle of a crisis, that's really friggin' hard. 
It, what but if instead really of the word, important. what if instead of the word permission in that, that sentence, the word used was safe? Yes. How much easier would it be to worship surrounded by like-minded people who give us uh, the feeling of safety for that divine presence? Really, I think that's kind of what we're talking about is, and when that gets back to the peer pressure thing I was talking about earlier, is, is seeing other people worship and using that word then gives you a sense of safety that you're able to use it and express it yourself. Yeah, I think permission just kind of stuck in my craw because yeah, uh, no, understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that feels better to me. It would be a lot easier, and I think that's a community worth building mm-hmm. to have that safety and security to interact and commune with the divine in your own way from somebody who has already learned it. In my experience, it was much easier to bridge that gap when I had somebody who had already been there Mm -hmm. and could show me the way and say, they never told me, you never told me what I would feel or what I would experience. You just opened the door. Mm -hmm. Some days you booted me in the ass through it. (laughs) Other days I willingly walked through, you know, despite the carrot hanging in front of my face. Um. But it is, it's better, I think. And I know a lot of people have that vision of being an awesome solitary practitioner out in the woods somewhere, learning from spirit and blah, 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 this stuff. And that's beautiful and amazing and great, but it's hard. It is so hard. And it is so much easier to have somebody that you can trust and who trusts you and who can help you walk through that door. So the idea of having something safe is a very alluring. But the problem is, like there is with many different groups, and not just in the pagan community, but in the world at large, is there are predators out there, right. and it is a very scary. Actually, we're going along a similar line, uh, uh, Caitlin, on something, and, and this is triggering a little side conversation. I was really interested in... And I think you would be too. I was speaking to someone the other day that um, they were talking about predators within the the pagan community, right? Mm -hmm. And especially how there is a tendency to have abuse or inappropriate things happen with an elder or a teacher, especially if you're young and you don't know any better, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And this particular person was in Ireland And for her local community, there were no one-on-one teachers. Every student had at least three teachers simultaneously, and they knew that if somebody tried to barge in that community and create a one-on-one teacher-student relationship, that they had to worry about that person. Yes, sorry, Tammy, trigger warning. I should have put that in there. I wasn't thinking about that. But I I was actually just more fascinated by how cool it was that they had Mm -hmm. established this amongst themselves, that that each student had at least three teachers to help protect. It's almost like the community created a safety net for their newcomers. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing, though? I was like, that is really fascinating. That is a great idea. And I, I think it's actually... It's an amazing idea, really, because, you know, I mean, there's three of us, Mm. right? 
and I have a different viewpoint on things than you do, and you have a different viewpoint than Sarah, then it goes around. So it's good to have multiple elders working with a group of uh, community or newbies coming into the fold, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that's something we should try to instigate over here. Yeah. I mean, from the sounds of it, it wasn't, tradition specific it was just something that their entire local community had decided on yeah which i i don't know i just find that found it completely fascinating it's a good idea i can see where the the major pitfall is going to be well if this is tradition specific i can't actually be there for x y or z initiation training sure. whatever yep. mm-hmm. but yeah i think i think that uh you know on on the flip side of protecting students and teachers alike you you don't want one-on-one scenarios mm-hmm. um if you can avoid them if at all possible i mean hell when i started teaching about norse heathenry uh it was like five six of us gathered in the owl right it was right. never a question of you know of uh who was where doing what it was just i oh, we're gonna be in the basement doing religion <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a pretty cool idea. Um, I don't know something something worth thinking about. There's mm-hmm. a, a lot of smart people that listen smarter than I am that listen to this show. So <laughs> hopefully, there's some sort of solution. Oh, there's my sunset alarm. I'll be right back, you guys. Now that he's away, I'm going to initiate you all into room work. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> what am I? No, I think that uh, the, the, the question of, of safety and worship is a very valid one. Um, and so I'm really happy that you brought that up, Tammy, because yeah, kind of jumping off what Mother Multiverse said, sometimes it helps to hear that you can do the thing, whether someone has the authority to give that or not, is true. And, and if that's the safety you need, that's one thing. Um. Okay, so so you bring up a who I am I am not equipped to handle that question alone. Um, that could be its own its own uh, uh, podcast unto itself is going over um, rape. So I'm not going to touch that right now. But the predation that occurs in the paying community, I don't. Suffice to say, I don't believe it's, it's God-condoned. Um, and I'm going to take it from a more practical tract than what is moral, because moral arguments are great and all, but practically speaking, uh, I think that this is an equal leg to stand on, because we can go over the morals of, of rape all day, all night, and I'm going to be firmly in the category of it's never okay. Uh, so, practically speaking, hello, uh, practically speaking, you don't want to have predators in your community because it causes trauma. Trauma makes the whole community that much harder to hold together, keep together, keep worship with the gods, keep good conduct with one another to have good conduct with the ancestors and the spirits. I mean, if you're talking, if you're talking about it from a community perspective, if, if your focus is on community and keeping a, co- a cohesive community, you want to kick the predators out ASAP. So as a, victim of sexual violence, I am going to say this as a full stop. 
any individual that you encounter within any community who uses a God as a reason to take advantage of you, to own your body, your soul, your path, whatever it may be, or make you uncomfortable in any way is a fucking predator and you need to get out now. Find somebody to help you remove yourself from the situation. Don't look back. Go. Because if they're using their gods and their spirits to get within your body, that is unacceptable, especially if you've said no. Uh, More to the, uh, from another perspective on this, anybody that is a spiritual advisor in the state of Michigan must report if they suspect a case of rape or sexual assault has occurred, they are legally required to report. If you have a system or a group of people or a single priest and you're saying, hey, I've seen this conduct, this needs to stop, here's the person, and they don't do anything with it, you are fully within your legal rights to go to the police, to contact a lawyer, and to start pressing charges, not only against the perpetrator, but against anybody who ignored them, who was in a position of power. Priests, counselors, mental health professionals, myself included, we are mandated reporters. It is not a question of, oh, I don't know, I didn't witness it. They don't care. The law does not care about this. Mm-hmm. If you report to a priest, if you are not under the seal of confession, let me put, the, put that caveat in front. If you approach a priest and they are not under the seal of confession, they must report. And that poor report is very important because they will log it and they will document it. It may not seem like they are doing anything about it right up front, but if enough things come forward, they will go after the guy. Yep. Or gal. You know, nobody's really safe from this. Yeah. So, I mean, long story short, we, we could do a show all on its own to this effect, but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, folks, don't be dicks. <laughs> Welcome back, Jim. Wow, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I see trigger warnings in the chat room. I see all kinds of stuff going on. What's going on here? Hey, look, you left the bus, all right? I had to drive. It was chaos. I ran Ooh, over something. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, she took Crazy. the steering wheel right out of my hands, man. Oh, <laughs> I did. Kicked me off. That thump thump you felt a couple miles back, that was me. <laughs> well, inspired by this conversation, my my uh, prayer for tonight for the sunset, I went out and instead of doing it like I have been doing it, where I, I basically stand behind the cameras, I hold my phone, I took a gr- second, grabbed my tripod, and demonstrated that I was down on my knees praying. So Excellent. Excellent. That needs to be seen. Here mm-hmm. we go. So there, feel vulnerable. Fear vulnerable. That's it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all got storm broke. Oh my god, that's amazing! Thank you so much. <sighs> All right. Well, so. I think is that where we're going to call it an end tonight. Is that the is that mm. a good show? You think? 
I, I think. Else you want that, to cover on the topic? I think that I, I really want to reiterate a couple of things before we go, namely that that worship and reverence and devotion and offerings and prayers and everything else. Yours is never, even if you're in the same tradition, same teacher, same everything, it's never going to look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. That individuality, exactly. if, if you're afraid of losing your individuality within a religion, don't, because you're still going to retain it. It doesn't matter how committed you are to one particular form of one particular person's form of worship. You know, no Buddhist is going to be just like the Buddha. It's that old joke uh, slash parable of if you see the Buddha on the road, kill him. You know, yeah, and and if the Buddhas were kind of mirroring each other, they would go against Buddhism itself. It's all about finding the Buddha within yourself. So, so, um, just be you, do what feels right, and if that changes from time to time, because it will, that's fine. Let it, yeah, yeah. and do relationships change? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well, I mean, and do your due diligence. I'm sorry, brother, go ahead. No, I, I go go for it. I'm waiting. Okay, um, you know, do your due diligence. If something feels wildly out of joint, or if you're being required to wildly change your devotional practice, it's okay to go. Hang the hell on! I don't know if this is a sock puppet or not. And <laughs> speaking of which, you should watch Jim's TikTok videos because he goes over that. I'm gonna shill the shit out of those. It's work that I don't have to do. Um, <laughs> it's already on the internet, Jim. You gotta deal with internet. it. Yes, yeah, yeah, I know it. So. Um, <laughs> I, I'm seriously going to shill the shit out of those because they're really good. I'll end um, up making a, a YouTube supercut for us. That'll you work. should. That'd be great. Um, but whatever whatever aspects of worship you find yourself working with, you know, you know, it's going to be individual to you and your relationship with the gods because you're not your teacher and you're not your students. Um. My my elder told me a long time ago, comparison is a poison. And I, yes, I hold definitely. Absolutely. You know, I have to hand it to to Galena. She was absolutely fucking right. Because one of the big humps I had to get over with working with her very early on was that I was consistently comparing my practice to hers and I couldn't do it. And she kept having to take my head against the wall. Until I recognized that it's solid. So, in accordance with what Saren's just said, I also want to talk just a tiny, tiny bit about in the beginning, when you are a new witch or Wiccan or shaman or pagan or whatever you want to use, Mm -hmm. it is okay to follow the footsteps of your teacher exactly during those... You might want to, because they know things you don't. They know all of your basics, and they're going to, if they're a good good teacher, because I'm not going to say every teacher will do this. If they're a good teacher, they will take care of you, and they will protect you during this. And they will show you what you need to, to know in order to elevate your practice to what you want it to be. I want to jump off that really quick. <laughs> And I, I know I don't want to drag this out too far, but I really feel like this is an important aspect to, to talk about. This is actually part of why elders and teachers are so important. Because if you're somebody out in the wilderness and you don't have a teacher and you do something monumentally stupid, there is no one to help you pay that debt 
but you. Right. Um, funny enough, that's how I got my elder. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just asked questions. That's all I did. So you actually did follow in your teacher's footsteps. Sort of. <laughs> Hey, that's actually very funny. I never drew that comparison before because you kind of did the same thing to Mateo that I did to you. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's a definite correlation. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, continue. But, but um, you know, and, and for folks who can't find one or aren't comfortable with one, that's that's fine. Just understand that the, the use of a teacher is to prepare the student Mm -hmm. that an elder is there to help guide their community. That's their purpose, you know, and, and whether the, whether that direction is in the form of just sitting on a porch and dispensing wisdom on occasion or being in a formal setting where they actually train you on X, Y, and Z and doing it a B C way, you know, you, you will find your variation shorter or longer down the road. What's important is to take the lessons that they're handing to you with respect and dignity and care Um, because we don't just do this shit for funsies you know whether Uh, it's we do sometimes it's fun (laughs) it's fun but our duty our our purpose is to the community that we serve like I'm I'm not hippity hopping I mean don't get me wrong. I love this podcast, but it's also out of a sense of duty to the communities we serve. Yeah. And, you know, it's also a really great way to field questions and go, hey, look at this episode. <laughs> but also saying to that, it is perfectly okay to find joy and happiness within your devotional work. Oh, hell In yeah. In fact, it's almost yeah. needed and necessary yep. to have that sort of expression. Yep. If it doesn't bring you joy, then what is it doing for you? I, I think I was going to leave it off with just the, the thought that none of the phrases we've used tonight are bad of themselves, whether it comes to working with, calling in, uh, devotion, worship. any of those, worship, any of those. Are, they're not, but the challenge on anybody hearing this is to question your own practice and if you're using the appropriate word, and if not, why? Yeah. That's it. Just, yep. just an examination of self. Yeah, we. I think most of this was just kind of ranty, actually. Yeah, a lot of it was just like kind of rambling around. Here's the definition. Here's our our, our thoughts on the thing. I yeah. mean, build off of what we said and figure it out on. Or own. don't. Here's or Mother don't. Here's summing it up too quickly. No, that's not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to us ramble and, and goof off tonight. Um, we really it's appreciate all of our week. listeners. We, you know, we get so much joy out of doing this show. And when you guys send mm-hmm. us feedback, it's it's just amazing. We love the support we're getting from both our patrons and from our mm-hmm. Discord community. And, and we just can't thank you enough. So. But thank you for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next time around the fire. Take care, folks.
Yeah.